You're listening to the iHeartRadio Talk Network, and this is The Evan Solomon Show. Hello, Canada, coast to coast to coast. How's everyone doing on a happy Thursday on the big show? Love to hear from you as we get deep into the summer here. I'm supposed to promo the show on the Twitter machine, at Evan Solomon Show. We tweet out the audio and the news of the show. Check that out. You can listen to the show on a podcast, the Evan Solomon Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast, maybe in your own kitchen. Don't tell me what you do. Subscribe and keep up. And on our smart speaker, the Evan Solomon Show. Ah, the corporate masters must be happy as I promo the show. I'm happy to do that. Uh, we got a great show to you for you today. And, and you will be a big part of it. Because today, I mean, who will you meet? You'll meet the guy that uh, Vladimir Putin wants to assassinate and jail and kill and has tried to, Bill Browder. Remember the best-selling author of Freezing Order and our good buddy of the show? Well, there's a Russian super yacht that is finally that was seized and is going up for auction. So Bill's going to talk about that and what to do about Russia. So Bill's going to join us. So it's like, oh, best-selling author, number one best-selling author. Many of you had said, Evan, you puppet of the liberal government, why don't you cover what's going on in the Netherlands? And I always say, what does one of these ridiculous slurs that I, are you missing your domestic politics in the Netherlands quotient? Like, is there an amount of sort of Dutch politics that I'm requisite amount that I'm supposed to cover? But the allegation is that because I'm not covering the Dutch farmers protest, somehow I'm in, I'm, I'm in the pocket of Trudeau against the freedom fighters. Well, we will cover the Dutch farmer protest because it's idiotic to suggest anyone in this company is in anybody's pocket. We do what we want and we say what we want. But there are real concerns about fertilizer now. And some farmers are really concerned that in this government's policy to try to reduce emissions by 30%, farmers are going to be hit hard on fertilizer emissions. And that's actually been one of the issues in the Netherlands. Dutch news alert, uh, Chris, I don't know if we, we don't have a signal for Dutch news alert. I just love getting tweets like, why are you ignoring what's happening in the Netherlands? Like, when was the last time you asked me to cover what was in the Netherlands? Only when it sort of jibes with what you like, maybe. Anyway, I didn't know there was such a massive appetite for Danish or Dutch politics. Apparently there is. But we'll, co- we'll talk about that today. In fact, I'm going to talk to the Ontario bean growers to find out if farmers are going to get hurt by this. So, yeah, we'll deal with that, and I'll, and, I'll, and I'll give you the update on what's going on. And then we'll talk about the, the, the feds, and, and I'll get your reaction if, if they're going to buy back one of your guns. If you have an AR-15, get uh, 1300 bucks for it. Or a Swiss Arms SG-550, get 6209 bucks. We'll talk about that. But I begin with Fed Up Thursday. Try this on for size. Fed up Thursday. 
I have this sense that comes from inveterately reading polls that people are sick of governments, left and right. That people are tired of it. Governments on the left, governments on the right are not doing enough to help people. The right-wing partisans think the left has failed. The left-wing partisans think the right has failed. Too much inflation, not enough jobs, no growth, worried about climate, worried about energy, worried about everything. And so today we hear the news that things are so polarized in the United States that they're going to start a new party. Forget the Republicans and the Democrats. A bunch of former Republicans and former Democrats announced late yesterday that they are going to start a new national third party. They're calling it Forward. The Forward Party. This is clearly inspired by Emmanuel Macron and his third party that he started in France. And the U.S. system and the French system are similar because the president, the leader, can actually be on the ballot. And this is started by Democratic. Remember the presidential candidate? He also ran to be the mayor of New York, Andrew Yang. And the former Republican governor of New Jersey, Christine Todd Whitman. And they said, look, the, the Republicans are have become populist conspiracy theorists under Donald Trump. We can't have it. And the Democrats are... Are, are doddering Biden-esque overspenders who can't deliver. And so it's time now, the forward people say, to start a new political party. And they're going to announce it, announce it on, in September, on the 24th. They're going to try to have a national convention. And they've recruited a whole bunch of people, dozens and dozens of former Republicans and Democrats who are tired of the partisanship who want to move forward. And we're going to speak to Miles Taylor, the former Homeland Security official for the Trump administration, who was deeply involved in the creation. So Miles is going to jump on. But I ask you this, and and we'll get to this. Could this and should this happen in Canada? Now, parties form in Canada all the time. When we have a, a long tradition of dissatisfaction leading people to take their toys and go home. It goes back a hundred years. It goes back to the Cooperative Commonwealth Federation, the CCF, on the left, that begat the New Democrat Party in the 60s. There are already 23-plus registered political parties in Canada outside of the, the Big Five, the Liberals, the Conservative the New Democratic Party, the Bloc, and the Green. But the Bloc was a new party. We've had the Social Credit Party. We've had the Reform Party. We've had the Canadian Alliance Party. And in the United States, they've had third parties for years. Teddy Roosevelt, in 1912, ran for the White House for the Bull Moose Party against his old party, the Republicans, against President Taft. Strom Thurmond left the Democrats in 48 to have the state's rights party because he was opposed to civil rights. Wrong side of history, buddy. Ross Perot, 1992, the Independent. And, of course, in 2000, Ralph Nader, the Green Party. So it happens, but they mostly fail in the United States. 
What will make this difference? We're going to find out. But could this and should this happen in Canada? I want to take your calls on that after we speak to someone who's a founder of the Forward Party. But there is an appetite, and and I'll tell you what I think has happened. If Pierre Polyev wins, and it looks like that's the case, although I'm not going to predict, the Conservative Party will have shifted to the right. Now, people might say, no, no, that's that's just the way it is. He's open about it, and that's okay. He's a conservative an economic conservative, and, and and his policies are open about moving to the right. And certainly from a cultural point of view and a populist point of view, the liberals with their deal with the NDP have moved to the left. By the way, I think that's a, a – I think both parties are making a strategic error. They've left the center wide open. Now, you can say the center is the mushy middle, but the center is where most voters are. I think the liberals tacking left as the conservatives are tacking right is a mistake on both parts. They are forgetting about the middle. And I think there's a right moment, not only in the hyper-polarized, depressing American politics, but in the increasingly polarized Canadian politics for a new, for the center. Now, whether that's a new party or not, I don't know. But I'm going to ask you that at 71010. Is because the center in Canadian politics is wide open and the U.S. has just nailed it. So Miles Taylor, former Homeland Security official with the Trump administration, involved in the creation of a new party, announced yesterday, joins us next. Is it time for a new party? Strong views, powerful opinions. The Evan Solomon Show continues on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Do you feel alone? Do you feel abandoned? Do you feel you can trust nobody? Do you feel that there's no place to go? I'm just kidding. This is a political alienation. If you're conservative, you might think in America, I'm a Republican. I've been a Republican all my life, but I'm not a Donald Trumpist. I didn't like what happened on January 6th. I don't like that guy. I don't like that party. I've been a Democrat all my life. I don't like what Joe Biden's doing. I don't like the inflation. I need a new party. I'm sick of the polarization. I know what happened in 2000. And, um, I, I, I know back in 1912, Teddy Roosevelt ran for the bull moose. I get it. I know in 1992, Ross Perot ran as an independent, didn't win, but shook it up, or Ralph Nader in 2000. But this is all going to be different this time. The forward party, created by a group of disgruntled Republicans and Democrats, have said we're going to have a new national third party. Miles Taylor is a former Homeland Security official in the Trump administration. He was involved in creating this new party, and he joins us now. Hi, Miles. Great to be with you. How you doing? Hey, man. Good. Okay. Tell me about the genesis of a new, like there's a long tradition of this stuff happening in both in Canada and the U.S. I understand it. But what is the genesis of forward? Yeah, well, look, let's start here. Uh, For most of history, this hasn't worked, right? I mean, you know, we know American political history. I'm a student of American political history. And I would have told you a couple of years ago, I thought it was impossible to create a successful third party in the United States. 
but some pretty significant things have changed. And, and I don't think that's uh, surprising to anyone when they look at America's political environment. I mean, I, I talk to friends in Canada who feel like they live in the apartment above a meth lab uh, because <laughs> things are so crazy here in the United States. I mean, that's how people describe it. It's, it's like, you, you know, Canada's like the nice neighbor sitting on top of a meth lab. Uh, and Americans, by the way, feel that way, too. Nine in ten people in the United States right now say the country is headed the wrong direction. And and stunningly, Ed, uh, one in ten Americans, so 30 million Americans, think violence would be justified to forcibly restore Donald Trump to the White House. We still are living in a chaotic, disgruntled political environment. But I'm going to throw some other stats at you to that question about can a third party even work? And that is when they've failed in the past, it's because most of the country doesn't want to do party. Stunningly, in the past year, two thirds of Republicans and Democrats now say they wish they had another party in this country and that they Mm. would vote for it. And 50 percent of Americans now say they're no longer a Democrat or a Republican. They are a political independent one half of the country. And that's the highest that number's ever been. So we think the fertile soil is getting tilled right now to introduce a new choice for Americans. Speaking of Miles Taylor here on the Evan Solomon Show, the former Homeland Security official of the Trump administration, one of the founders of a new party, a third party, the third way. I mean, look, folks, as you follow French politics, like this is what Emmanuel Macron did. He founded a new party. It was a middle party, center party, and he won. And I guess this is in some ways the blueprint. But these have failed in the past, Miles. I think there's a big appetite here. Democrats fear that this is just going to bleed off votes. And Republicans who are hardened members of the Trump uh, uh, supporters, they will win. That this will actually end up hurting the Democrats more than the Republicans. The way, you know, Al Gore blames Ralph Nader for... uh, sucking and and siphoning off votes and costing him in the election? Yeah, I mean, Evan, it's a great question. And and I hope that you'll slap me around a little bit later because a second ago I called you Ed because I have a friend named Ed Solomon. Solomon. (laughs) So, Evan. Miles, uh, I just want to tell you something. I have been called so many nasty names that when you called me Ed, I was flattered because it wasn't, you didn't, you weren't spitting on me. Like, I (laughs) listen, I've been, it's rough out there for the journalists right now. Okay, go ahead, Miles. Hey, well, no, I'll tell you one really funny one, Evan. When I came out publicly against Trump, uh, the actor Miles Teller, who's in Top Gun, started getting my hate mail from MAGA people. And he said, hey, man, I'm getting a lot of hate mail because my name, Miles Teller, sounds a lot like Miles Taylor. So that happens in this world. But but look, I'll tell you this. The spoiler question. Look, that's another really important one to address is is it's easy to say, you know, look, if you introduce a new party, it's going to spoil for one party or the other. I think the obvious answer to that is the two-party system is already completely spoiled. I mean, statistically, over 70% of elected positions in the United States in the last election cycle had only one candidate competing for them because the two major parties have shut out competition. How is that not spoiled? I mean, imagine you went to the grocery store and instead of 30 different kinds of soap, you only had one type of soap you were allowed to buy. You'd be a little more than or, or even just two. And even two two bars of soap isn't much. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, I know that that sounds like a facetious example, but it's not. I mean, Evan, in every aspect of our lives, whether it's getting a ride share, ordering food or clothes, we have like unlimited choice and competition. And ironically, the only place in our lives we don't have choice and competition anymore is our democracy. It was the place in school we were told it was all Mm. about choice and competition. So no one should be afraid of more choices. I can't imagine any marketplace where you But how say, do you get it off the ground? Choice. Like, the two parties are fundraising. Now, things are easier than when Ross Perot and Ralph Nader ran because of a Supreme Court decision in the yeah. U.S. It's easier to raise money. I understand that. What kind of money do you guys need to raise? It's huge. It, this is a massive project. I, I would say this is the Mount Everest of political challenges. And just like Mount Everest, 99 out of 100 routes you would take to the top, you'd probably die. So the goal here is find the one route where you get to the summit and survive. That's that's how big of a challenge is this is. But we think we know what that route looks like because there have been Sherpas that have gone up that metaphorical mountain before. Uh, it you know it has been done, and right now it's a lot more viable. The conditions are more viable than they've been in the past. But on the money side, you have to raise an enormous amount of money to make a new party successful in this country. But we think there is the grassroots energy to come out and support something like this. Just immense public dissatisfaction with the existing system. But that's going to be hard to do, and it's why this is a multi-year effort. No one needs to worry about this new party jumping in in the midterm elections this year. We won't have candidates in the midterm elections, but we are going to start building the party infrastructure. So by the end of this year... We will have legal recognition or ballot access in 15 U.S. states, double that number in 2023, and nearly all 50 Mm. states in 2024. But when we're selecting our races, we're going to be looking for candidates to go run against entrenched extremists. So think election deniers from the Republican Party who look like they can't be beaten. That's where we're really going to go try to run. So, So, I mean, you need just I want people to understand this. The 2020 election cycle cost about 14 billion dollars like like the money in the u.s is mind-boggling i just got you for a minute miles just real quick is there will there be one candidate a presidential candidate that your party will put forward well right now we really genuinely aren't thinking about the presidential that's not a talking point because we have a secret trojan horse presidential candidate no one in our organization is planning to run for president in 2024. Our focus is going to win oh, really? races in the Senate and the House okay. and at the state level. That's our primary focus. But if we end up, Evan, in that black swan scenario in 2024 where you have a Donald Trump coming back and the Democrats don't look like they can beat yeah, them. Yeah, Joe Biden's daughter into the finish line. Yeah, yeah. if you got Joe Biden crawling to the finish line and Donald Trump trying to, to do restoration uh on the river, that that would be nuts. This might you might have to run a presidential candidate, Miles. Yeah, and and, and look, we won't do anything if we think it's going to help Trump be president. I mean, I'll be one of the first people in the country who gets shipped to Guantanamo Bay if Donald Trump wins in twenty twenty four. So anything we do, if we play in the presidential, mm. will be to make sure that man never sits in the Oval Office ever again. Well, I can tell you something uh, as a journalist who's been to Guantanamo Bay, Miles. You don't want to go there. Uh, Miles Taylor, uh, former Homeland Security, you've probably been there as well, a former Homeland Security official (laughs) of the Trump administration. Yeah, I've taken that flight there. Uh, He was involved in the creation of four. It's a new party. Uh, It it was created, basically announced last night. And they'll have some, well, we wish you luck, Miles. Come on back. Uh, Great to have you on the program. Uh, Great to be with you. Bill Browder's on the other side. 
holding the politicians and pundits to account. Now more from The Evan Solomon Show on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. You got to keep your eye on the ball when it comes to Russia. There, look, it's one thing to seize the super yachts of Russian oligarchs and billionaires. As have happened, there is a um, $75 million, 236 super yacht that was just seized. Uh, it was owned by the billionaire Russian oligarch Dmitry Pompayansky. And it's going to go up for grabs after um, it was uh, basically in Gibraltar arrested once uh, the billionaire hit the sanctions list. So this is the first yacht to go up. But, you know, that may make people feel good. But does it really make any difference to Russia who are cutting off their gas supplies? Germany is scrambling. Russia has clearly said, yeah, the sanctions are worth it. We're going to cut off gas and try to break the euro unity by choking off Germany's gas. What is the future here? What should we be looking for? Well, no one knows this stuff better than our friend Bill Browder, the founder and CEO of Hermitage Capital Management. You know him as the author of of the two best-selling books, the latest, Freezing Order, a true story of Russian order, money laundering, murder, and surviving Putin's wrath. Uh, Bill was on the show, uh, I think, the day it came out, um, and he joins us again. Bill Browder, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. How are you? Yachts and pipelines. Uh, yachts make headlines. Pipelines change governments. Um, let's talk about the yachts. Is it significant that a super yacht is going up for auction? Well, um, not particularly. I mean, it, it, you know, in the best case, they get 50 or $100 million for this yacht. The damage that Putin has inflicted on Ukraine is, you know, of the order of magnitude of a trillion dollars. There's a lot more money than that that needs to uh, uh, come back to Ukraine before um, things are, are back to square one. But but it's, it is it is helpful and it's symbolic and it's newsworthy and it keeps people focused. And from that perspective, I think it's a good thing. I'm with you. I think it's symbolic. I think the idea that a bunch of billionaires running around with $100 million yachts while the world's burning and while they attack Ukraine is ridiculous. So I agree with you. I think it's symbolically important. But what's your read, Bill Browder, on Putin's next step here? Um, specifically the play, the Nord Stream 1 gas. Uh, you know that Canada provide, fixed some um, turbines that Germany wanted to get that pipeline going. The Ukrainians were livid at Canada for essentially breaking or making an exemption to the sanctions. But Germany's desperate. Uh, how are you reading that situation? Well, I mean, it's it, it, so Putin plays whatever cards he has to the maximum advantage, even if they cause him pain and suffering and greater pain and suffering than the other people. So he's weaponizing everything. So in the case of gas, let's just think about this for a second. Yes, Germany is going to have real problems this winter if Russian gas stops flowing because 45 percent of their gas comes from Russia. But. The one thing that, that um, I think people aren't really paying attention to is that Russia, if they don't sell their gas, they don't get the money. And if they don't get the money, they've got no money because that's all, all it is. Russia is an oil and gas state. But but and aren't so they selling it to to aren't they selling it to to uh, China, to India, to uh, I mean, they're making deals with Iran. Or haven't they found I, mean, I know it's at a discount, but they're still making billions and billions, 20 billion dollars a month. There and then they've got other markets. Well, so th- that's true, but not. So 
So on, on one hand, yes, the Chinese and the Indians would love to buy as much gas as the Russians could supply. But gas is not something you can put on. I mean, you, you can put a little bit of gas on the ships, but most of it goes flows through pipelines. Ninety percent of those pipelines are built and go to Europe. Only 10 percent go to China. So, um, you know, it's just not going to happen. The, 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 the gas either evaporates or it goes to Europe. And, and, and yes, on the oil front, they can put some oil out to, um, to China and India, but, but not, as, not as much as they need to, and it goes at a big discount. So if Russia stops supplying gas to Germany, yeah, it's going to be terribly painful for Germany and other countries in Europe, but it's even more painful for Russia. And at that point, Putin really does run out of money because his main source of money is the sale of oil and gas. It cannot be diverted. Specifically, the gas can't be diverted. And so he's kind of playing a game of chicken here. And, and what he's thinking is that um, we're going to swerve before he does and that we're going to do something to sort of placate him um, so that he... Um, well, you're, 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 it's domestically difficult in Germany. you got towns, literally, I read an article this morning, towns are taking cold showers and... You look yeah, at, yeah, there, there's unity. Yeah. People in Spain are saying, hey, we're not going to cut our gas consumption because of the Germans. You, you know, we have a different energy grid. We invested. They didn't. I mean, does this threaten NATO unity? Uh, it does. It threatens European unity. It threatens unity. Look, Canada, you know, was, was pressured so much by uh, the Germans for that turbine that they that they capitulated. It's, it's threatening unity everywhere. But, but at the same time, Putin, he, this is his only thing. If he doesn't sell his gas, he's out of money because his central bank reserves are frozen. Uh, the oligarch money is, is, is frozen. This is his last play. And I should point out something else, which, which is really important to know, which is the Ukrainians now, uh, with these new long-range artillery um, from the United States, they're really causing trouble for the Russians now. There is a serious problem in, in the uh, uh, Russian invasion and in the Russian military. They're losing soldiers. They're losing territory. They're losing equipment. They're losing everything. And, and I, I think Putin is, is kind of in a bit of a panic right now because uh, he, he's not winning militarily. And he, so he's playing hardball. And the only way he knows how is with gas. And if somehow Europe gets through this, and I, you know, nobody can predict how it's all going to play itself out, but if somehow Europe gets through this, Putin really has no other cards to play. Mm. By, by the way, I was speaking to Bill Browder, uh, freezing order, red notice, um, one, number one on the hit list there for Vladimir Putin. You're referring to the HIMARS rocket systems. These are these uh, mobile rocket systems that have destroyed m- more than 50 ammunition depots. They're wreaking havoc. They're difficult. The missiles fly low. Uh, the Russians can't take them down. They're very mobile. Uh, these things have had a consequential aim. But we keep hearing that um, Russia is consolidating in the east and they're moving forward. What's your sense of where of where this conflict is going, Bill Browder, and, and what the next steps to deal with Putin might be? Well, so, so Russia was grinding forward in a really awful way up until three weeks ago when the U.S. supplied the HIMARS systems. And the great thing about these, this new system is that they can, the, the Ukrainians can shoot these missiles from 100 kilometers away, and the Russians only have, have uh, capacity for like 50 or 60 kilometers. And so the Ukrainians can stand back from the line of fire, and these are highly precise. And what they just did yesterday, which is really impressive, is they destroyed a bridge that connects Kherson, which is one of the big, big sort of military successes of Russia, um, from, from, uh, from the other side. 
And so Russia cannot, the, the Russian troops are basically trapped there and they, they can't resupply them. And Ukraine is now going to basically obliterate these troops and they might free Kherson. And that, that would be a huge, huge um, military victory for Ukraine and a, and a major defeat for Russia. And so I would say that, that the tide has turned as of three weeks ago. And a lot of people are, are saying that Ukraine is really, um, you know, fighting, fighting, punching way above their weight from before. And, um, and I wouldn't uh, in any way say that, that Russia is at an advantage right now. And, and according to the Ukrainians, the, the number of missiles that are dropping um, in, into Ukraine and the eastern Donbass has decreased by between a half and two thirds mm. because of, of the effect of these HIMARS yeah, these uh, artillery. I got about uh, twenty seconds. Uh, you say sanctions are not enough. What's the next phase to deal with Putin, real quick? Well, the main thing that we need to do is is just give more military equipment to the Ukrainians in every way, every way, shape, and form. Let them fight Putin because we don't want to be fighting him ourselves. Let them do the job that needs to be done. And of course, don't give Putin any money um, through sanctions. I mean, through uh, oil oil sales and so on. And, and to a certain extent, Putin's doing that for him, for us. Yeah. Uh, by, by stopping the sale of gas. Bill Browder, uh, I love having you on the program. Hope your summer's going well uh, and, and you continue to do the great work. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Thank you. That is uh, Bill Browder. Uh, what what, a, what an, a remarkable person. Um, we're going to take a break. one 633 or 71010 A new third party in the U.S. has launched. Do we need a new party here? Next. Time in your car doesn't have to be time wasted. Join the evolution of talk radio. This is The Evan Solomon Show on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Does Canada need a new political party? There's talk in some conservative circles that, oh, maybe uh, if Pierre Polyevre wins, we'll break off. Or maybe if Jean Charest wins, we'll break off. The Conservative Party's gone through a series of divorces. Remember it. When Jean Charest and... Elsie Wayne were a party of two after Brian Mulroney's great uh, historic majority uh, dwindled down to a mere two. And then, of course, that rump of a party almost disappeared and the Reform Party came up. And then it was the the, uh, Conservative Reform Alliance, the Alliance Party, and then the reunited Conservative Party of Canada under Stephen Harper and Peter McKay. Uh, The left has fractured before. Uh, but the center's been abandoned. The the liberals have a, have a deal with the uh, NDP, a confidence and supply motion. So they've tacked to the left. The conservatives, some say, are going to tack to the right if they elect Pierre Polyev. So I ask you this. With the United States, and we just spoke to Miles Taylor, a former Homeland Security official, who said who's involved in the creation of, the, of, a, of a new party in the U.S. He says it's so broken in the U.S. The Republicans are so broken and the Democrats are so broken. We started a new party, the forward party. And here's why. He says most people just distrust conventional parties. Listen. Nine in ten people in the United States right now say the country is headed the wrong direction. 
Uh, one in 10 Americans, so 30 million Americans, think violence would be justified to forcibly restore Donald Trump to the White House. We still are living in a chaotic, disgruntled political environment. By the way, the U.S. just experiencing a recession, two quarters of negative growth. Um, and so a third party, he says, it, it, it's fertile. And, and I wonder, could this, and could this happen here? Are you tired of the same old? Now, we've done this before. The Bloc is a reasonably new party. In Quebec, they have a new party in the CAC. I know Tasha Carradine, who's a regular, has talked a lot about maybe the conservatives federally may talk about a third party. There's certainly chatter about it. Certainly the uh, Alberta politics, uh, Wild Rose, and the conservative, the progressive conservative, and then the United Conservative Party. one 855 or 7 Terry in the Big Burlington, what's up? Good afternoon, Evan. Yeah, we don't need another party. You know what we need? We need politicians that really care about the people in this fine country. Because all, because right now, all those politicians are saying, is, what's in it for me? And, and like, that's about it. Yeah, but that's the whole point. That's why they think there's a third party, that people are so cynical, uh, Terry. People are saying, I'm sick of this. But you think that you just would like to purge, what, the, the existing politi- elected politicians and get new ones? I'm telling you, like, the politicians that, like, they're, they have to come around uh, uh, to, like, what's going on, like, around in the world right now. Because they don't have a friggin' clue. Here they are making making what uh, almost two hundred grand for for a for a um, a friggin' MP. They don't know what's going on. They really don't. People here here are like living on the street. Yeah, uh, one hundred eighty five thousand bucks. Uh, what one eighty five eight hundred to be precise is what a uh, a member of parliament gets, and that's if they're sitting on a committee, or of course uh, anything else. They get more. I, I appreciate the call. Thank you for that. Listen, first of all, amen to the sense that people should care about people more than uh, power. Jerry in Kitchener, what's up? Yeah, Evan, it would be nice if we could get back to having a real conservative party in this country. What's happened here is the right wing has taken over. And this is when I look at the last couple of elections, they haven't put anybody forward that could really give us a reason to vote other than liberal, because the NDP is so far in the distance as far as uh, policies that are acceptable to Canadians. Uh, people are getting frustrated. Who, who in the, is there anybody in the current conservative leadership race that you consider might reestablish some conservative bona fides? No, I don't. I don't. I don't see it happening. So, do you, and, would you uh, like another party? I would love to see an, a real conservative party in this country. I mean, we've had one, uh, you know, for, for our history, and uh, I don't see that now. I think it's been uh, uh, taken over by the far right, and the people they, uh, the conservative party, have put forward haven't been acceptable to Canadians. Jerry, I appreciate the call. Um, We need politicians. First of all, I think we need practical politicians 
who are practical before they're partisan. Two, they need to deliver stuff. Three, they've got to answer some basic questions. Four, just focus on the things that people care about. Give us the opportunity to pursue a better life. And take care of the, the, the weak and most vulnerable. You don't have to get your thumbs and your mitts into every part. But we also shouldn't run down government. We need government standards. We need government for certain things. It doesn't mean we need total government. But we need leaders that just speak like us, talk like us. Not in nostrums, not in phony baloney talk. Bob, what's up? Bob, are you there? Hi. I think we need term limits at every level, federal, provincial, and municipal, and we need to hold the politicians we elect accountable. Term limits of how long? Uh, Two terms, two times four years. That way they can do what's necessary and not focus just on getting reelected. Okay, uh, interesting. Term limits is something I don't know. Uh, you know, look, I think getting big money out of politics has been a good thing in Canada. Term limits, you know, look, I'm not opposed to it. Um, I do sometimes think there are people with a lot of experience in politics that are good, you know. I don't I don't understand why experience in politics is, is denuded. Uh, I got about 90 seconds here. Uh, do I have time for one more call? Let me, let me try to squeeze one in. I got so many. Mario, what's up? Hey, Devin, how you doing? I'm great, man. What, what's your thought on this? Listen, we need a third party, and the reason is simple. The third party's got to bring to Canadians grand ideas. Like, for example, Tommy Douglas, you brought us health care. You brought Baker, brought the arrow. Well, kind of. Yeah. But the point is that, that to rally all of Canada together, it says, yeah, we can do this, whether it is high-speed rail, whether it's this or that. Take the country and rally it. Mm. None of this simple BS, I'll do this, I'll do a little bit of this, I'll do a little bit of that. No, you want ideas that that says, let's get together and do it. All right, well, 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 I appreciate it. Look, maybe it's not time for small ideas and incrementalism. I appreciate that. We do need some vision. Uh, By the way, if you're listening in Toronto... Jean Charest is going to be on the rush with Reshmi Nair and Scott MacArthur this afternoon after 3 p.m. news on News Talk 1010 and our brother station in Toronto. So, so if, you're, if you still need your political fix, uh, get that. Um, we're going to talk guns next. Keep your phones near. Listening to the iHeartRadio Talk Network, and this is the Evan Solomon Show. One eight five five six three three ten ten. This is where you can react to this next story. One eight five five six three three ten ten. You can always uh, ask me anything. It's Thursday. Throw it down, or seven ten ten. But but if you want to focus your question, although you know, throw it, you know, throw anything you want at me. If you're a gun owner specifically, and if you're not a gun owner, let me know. But if you're a gun owner specifically, the federal government's now saying we are going to compensate. You know this, right? When they when they banned 1,500 different assault-style weapons, 
Now they're saying if you have an AR-15 or similar gun, rifle, under the mandatory buyback program, you can get 1337 bucks for it. Here's Marco Mendicino, the public safety minister, back in May saying we're going to introduce this. Well, today, uh, here are some prices. And today, I can confirm the imminent launch of the initial phase of this program as we begin consultations with industry on compensation. The first AR-15s and other assault-style firearms will start to be bought back by the end of this year. It's going to be hard, but we are going to get it done. So price check in aisle one. Uh, the, today, the proposal is 1337 for an AR-15. Let's say you've got the very controversial Swiss Arms SG-550, 6,209. That's the big one. There's 1,500. Let me ask you, first of all, do you think it's fair? Your, your gun will be rendered inoperable. It's going to cost a lot of money. I don't know the final cost. It could cost billions. So the price list is out there. If you've got one of these prohibited guns, you've got till October 30th, 2023 as an amnesty. And you got to use this comp- this mandatory compensation. What do you think of this? I have no idea if you think these prices are good. If this is going to incentivize you to turn in your gun. You can also call me at 1-855-633-1010 or 7-10 if you don't like this program or if you do like this program. I understand how controversial it is in the gun-owning community. But it is what it is. It's happening. Now, you may want to elect another government, and and like the long gun registry, they will get rid of it. That is your purview. We're not going to run an election here today. Al says, Evan, I'm sure all the criminals are eager to line up to return their illegal guns. I feel so much safer. Al's making a good point. And I've said this to Marco Mendicino many times. I said, have you misplaced the solution that legal gun owners are not the problem? Illegal gun owners are, the criminals. Now, look, legal availability of guns, there must be a correlation between availability of guns and gun crime because the U.S. has the most guns per capita and the most crimes, whereas in Europe and Canada, it's significantly lower. Although we have a lot of guns here, and we do have a lot of gun crime. Evan, I probably have about 4000 in my AR. Several thousand of that was the initial purchase cost. Don't see myself giving it for under 1500 bucks. They have to come to my door when they wish to claim it. Says Michael. Well, Michael, they may. You got four thousand bucks into your AR. Evan, I'm livid. This illegal gun grab is such an overreach of power and a waste of money. Gang bangers will not comply. That's true. Gang bangers are not. But do you want? I mean, there are those that Evan send these firearms to Ukraine. Um. If this gun buyback is $1,300, bucks, i will make 500 on my AR. I got a good deal on it. I can buy more guns. I'm a legal gun owner. I can buy some long guns. Well, you can do that. No, no one's saying you can't buy guns as long as they're legal. Adam and Aurora, what's up? Man, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of hearing this on the news. Always is money, 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 money. They're just spending on this, and it sucks. And 
when was the last time you guys talked about them taking this kind of money and investing in border security? Or even, like, it's 2022, the kind of technologies we have, like, into, like, I don't know, like, drone technologies to monitor the borders from people crossing through the forest or however, however they get it here? Well, we, we do talk about that a lot. Not I, really. I listen to you guys all the time. Well, just the news in general. I hear this more than I hear about that. Right. Well, okay, 2019 in that election, there was a billion dollars on the border strategy. I mean, I can talk about it. Uh, I, mean, I don't know how... I, don't I, know I do if remember it, that one, though, but they were saying they were banning guns that weren't even, like, uh, part of the gun crimes. They were just banning... That, that, was, that was for asylum seekers. I mean, look, they're, uh, okay. they're, that, that one was particular... Um, and, and, and look, you're, you're not wrong. And, and if you, I, I'm happy to post the border services agency's plan for the fiscal year ahead and we can get into their border management. Like, like we talk about it, I guess my point is if they're going to have a gun buyback program, that's why I'm focused on today. They just got the price of guns. They're going to buy it back. Uh, and, 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 and you just think that's a waste of money. No, I think so, because look what your one caller or text said. He said his gun is like four grand. You think he's going to give it up for half the cost or a quarter of the cost? I wouldn't. Yeah, but and I, I'm, he, may, he may not. And, that, and then the question is, what will happen? Will gun owners be fine for that? I don't know. That's a great question. I uh, appreciate yeah. the call. No worries. Uh, well, go ahead. You have something else to say? No. Nick in Toronto, what's up? Yeah, Evan, thanks for taking my call. Like I was telling your screener, I grew up generations and generations of legal gun owners, hunters, European background. Gave it up a long time ago. There's no use for it uh, as a sport or whatever. What you're promoting, what you what you're talking about on the radio, does not exist in Canada. Those assault, those full assault rifles. There's nowhere in Canada that these these things, unless they're illegal and no one's coming forward with illegal firearms, nobody legally has any of those arms registered. If they did, what? I'll challenge you because you can pull it up as a journalist and you can find out how many of those assault uh, rifles are are legally registered in Canada. There's not one. Sir, I'm, I'm just trying to understand. I, I, can you slow down? I, I'm just trying to figure out what you're saying. Like, we've got about... Now, as I understand this, and I'm looking at, like, I, I'm going on Department of Justice and Stats Can, that we've got something like seven and a half million firearms in civilian hands in Canada, okay? Uh, and many of them, by the way, are, um, and when we've got what, um, well, maybe we've got, I think, 9.9 .9 million guns now. Uh, so, so we've got a lot of guns here in Canada. So I guess my question is, are, are you saying that nobody has an AR-15? Lots of people have AR-15s. No, they don't. No, what do you want lots of people? You, talk, you have RCMP friends and stuff like that you like to talk about all the time. They'll tell you right now, there's nobody in Canada that legally can own any of those, not even ex-military. Nobody. In the United States, that's a different story. And they're coming across the border illegally. What I'd like to see is the government fork over some money, for legal gun owners that are of a generation that don't go hunting anymore, that they can sell their firearms. You know, if somebody owns a $4,000 over-under Beretta shotgun, a 12-gauge, right, that cannot pass it down to the next generation, 
I'd like to see the government come forward and say, yeah, you know what? It's worth $4,000. Take it to the appraiser. Okay. I'll give you $4,000. Turn it in. But to talk about this garbage and nonsense that you're talking about on the, on the radio. Yeah, but, but you know, if you have it, but, but, but like I have stats from the National Firearms Association. But, but, but you, 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 well, the what stats are 90,000 registered air. You can yell at me all you want. You can yell, but you got to have some facts, pal. There are AR-15s that are registered, as I understand, about 90,000. You can say shut up and you can rant, you can scream. Uh, you know, like, you can scream at a number. The number doesn't care. I, I, like, I'm trying to understand you, but I can't understand you unless you're going to deal with the facts. Now, yelling at me, I, I love when you yell at me. I, you know me. I, I love to mix it up. You want to mix it up all day. I'm, I'm okay, but... But I'm just telling you, look at the numbers. This idea is uh, you coming on the radio show and saying, there's no AR-15s in Canada. Just go look. There are AR-15s. Like, now, the, now they're, they are going to be now illegal. But the idea that this is a fiction because they don't exist is a fiction. All right. got to take a break. Nickel and diming the conversations. Literally. It's Evan Solomon on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Hey, you know what I love? I love when we mix it up at 1 855 633 1010 or 71010. We can laugh together, we can cry together, and we can debate and yell at each other. Don't feel bad. We had a caller who was yelling at me, wanted to talk about the Liberals' gun buyback program. Let's do it. Let's follow the smoke. Let's keep going because the text board's blowing up. The phone's blowing up. And I love it. It means people care. Now, the topic is the federal government has now, as you know, back in May, they announced they're going to have a gun buyback program for the 1,500 different weapons that uh, they said are going to move from non-restricted and restricted to prohibited. So your Ruger Mini-14 your AR-15, your AR-10, your M-16, your M-14, your Beretta CX-4 Storm, your Swiss Arms Classic Green, prohibited. They've all gone from non-restricted, restricted to prohibited. And now they're going to buy them back. Now, I don't know if these prices make sense. $1,337 for an AR-15. Some people say, well, I got mine for $700. Some says I, mine's worth $2,500. So we talk about that. My text board's blowing up. one 1010 or 71010. But one of the guys who phoned in, and I don't mind this, he was screaming at me. And he, he went on to say, Evan, this is the media's lying. There's no such thing as an AR-15. It's illegal. I challenge you. I, I, Chris, do we have the clip of him of saying those this? Assault, those full assault rifles, there's nowhere in Canada that these these things, unless they're illegal and no one's coming forward with illegal firearms, nobody legally has any of those arms registered. Oh, oh, yeah, right. Okay. Okay, pal. And, and, and thanks for coming on and yelling. Um, it would be great if you decided to come on national radio and maybe did a little Googling, maybe tethered your opinions to a fact. I don't care about, because as I say, you're entitled to your own opinions, but you're not entitled to your own facts. 
the idea that you're coming on this show to talk about guns and you say there's not a single person that legally owns an AR-15 when there are between 60 and 90,000? People own these. They, they were classified as restricted, non-restricted. Now they're prohibited. And there's an amnesty. So, so don't come on the show if you don't know what you're talking about. Now, if you want to correct me, which can happens all the time. Say, Evan, actually, you're missing a fact. You don't know what you're talking about here. I think let me t- let me add something. Great. I'm not here because I don't do talk radio because I have all the answers. I'm talking to you because I want the answers. But if you come on the program, have the courtesy to do a, just a titch of research before you come on and bloviate about BS that you know nothing about. Like these guns don't exist because you don't know what you're talking about. And then you want to yell at me, and I'm just going to talk about the facts. Now, there's a chance I don't know what I'm talking about, so correct me, but have a fact to do it, like Kevin will. Kevin, what's up? Hi, Evan. I favor a buyback, but done by the manufacturers. Let them pay it instead of taxpayers. I think overall that the the compensation, rather than monetary, is simply a safer society with these weapons not in the hands of civilians. That's my. I know that's strong. That said, I'd be okay with them being allowed to be kept at shooting ranges. You never take them home, and you want to go play with them there. That's okay. Uh, but you know, it's too much. Uh, this, you know, if you if you need a weapon like this, you can join the army. That, you know, that's that's yeah, all I feel about. Let, let, let me just say on on the first thing, I don't love that taxpayers are paying for it. But I don't think I don't want governments to force private companies to buy them back based on policy. You know, I don't love that. You know, because right. I, I'm just worried that you know governments are like, okay, we've changed the law now. You know, they sold these things legally. They didn't do anything wrong when they sold them. They were complying with the law. The the company shouldn't be punished because the laws have changed. They didn't do anything wrong at the time. They didn't well, break the law at the time. So I just don't think that government should. I, look, if you want to cha- change the gun laws, there's a price to be paid. And this government is going to have to justify that price to voters. And if voters say, hey, we don't like it, they're going to be tossed on their keisters. But, uh, well, how do you feel about victims of mass shootings being able to sue the manufacturers? Because that's a hot topic, too. Yeah, I think that's a great question, Kevin. And, and I, I think companies, let's broaden it out, not just to guns, but to right. things like OxyContin. Right. The pharma, sure. the big, big pharmaceuticals, I think, or, or big tobacco or like, uh, you know, um, yeah. insecticides. Yeah. Like, I think if we can prove that companies lied or exploited right. and caused social harm, they should be liable. Yeah, because that, that made me think about that jewel or these kitty flavors of those uh, vapors. Uh, the vapes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Did we buy did we buy back those when they're illegal? Yeah, it's a great question, Kevin. And, and look, companies that, that hurt the health of citizens and by lying about it, not because they comply with the law, because right. they falsified, I think they got to pay. Um, thanks, Kev. Kev, let I me just... one quick comment on go for it. Uh, the previous topic about... Uh, I disagree with you. I don't think the Liberal Party has veered that far left, uh, d- despite the, the deal to prevent another election with the NDP. I, I think they are moderate. That said, I don't mind if we have more parties. Feel free. Kev, great call. Call back anytime. Uh, Kevin in, in the gat. Uh, Michael, Brighton, what's cooking? Well, 
Um, so a lot of a lot of the discussion I'm hearing is about this buyback program, and, and you know, it's just a. I think it's a rather deceptive term. I think it's 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 legalized theft. It's confiscation, um, and and the people that uh, bought these um, um, bought these uh, firearms bought them in good faith. They bought them following the law, and and this is a pattern that seems to be. Um, in line with what the, what liberals tend to do is they instead of going after the the real issue the real problem they they attack the low hanging fruit which is law abiding citizens and the firearms that are used in in crimes the the majority of them over eighty uh, percent are from illegal firearms entering from the u s into Canada so what you know I don't know how many criminals are going to, to go, you know what, this is a confiscation program, uh, you know, we're going to follow the law. It, it, all it does is punish us. And, and I, I don't think the media has done a very fair and good job at explaining to the public all the hoops and all the things that, that, that firearm owners have to go through, especially if they are a restricted firearm Licensee. Yeah, no, I, I think you're fair. Like, like as someone who's who's done the possession and acquisition license course, the PAL course, and gun use. I know what you're talking about. I don't own a gun right now, uh, um, but uh, I've done that and obviously used them um, legally. And um, yeah, I know you're, you're you're right. There are a lot of hoops, and it's safe. But look, um, this government wants to get rid of these kind of guns and. Uh, the buyback program, is it legalized theft? It's a, listen, that is going to be yeah. how a lot of gun owners think so, and I appreciate the call, Michael. Um, can I just go real quick, Chris? i got about a minute and a half, Chris. Go for it. Okay, so the gentleman that yelled at you, I did a poor job of conveying what I think he was trying to say, and what I think he was trying to say is that assault-style rifles, U.S. assault-style rifles don't exist in Canada. So, for example, your AR-15... Uh, is no different than a uh, hunting rifle. I have a Browning Bar hunting rifle. It can hold five uh, shells, one in the chamber and four in the clip. That's the same as the AR-15, legal AR-15. Uh, you have to pull the trigger each time you want to shoot. Right. Both, uh, both weapons uh, operate exactly the same way. There is no difference between my hunting rifle and an AR-15 in function. They look different. But there is absolutely zero difference in function. My gun's legal. The AR-15 isn't. Yeah, can I just say something? I I question both Bill Blair and Marco Minichino on what is the definition of a, quote, an assault-style weapon. I think that's a fair question. So it's just virtual signaling. They're not really taking in legal guns. And now Mark Tui that was on earlier, he had some stat about 85% of the legal guns that are on on the streets or that get confiscated come from the U.S. That's the real problem. Well, that, that 100% that's a big problem, uh, and I appreciate the call. I've, I've got to run. Look, illegal guns are a problem. That doesn't mean that that's the only gun crime, but that is a huge problem. Okay, I, listen, I, you know I love these discussions. i got to take a break, though. Lots more to come on the Evan Solomon Show. Hang in there. Instant access to real people, real stories. The Evan Solomon Show is on the iHeartRadio Talk Network.
So I told you I'd talk about uh, grain growing. You know that what's going on in the Netherlands. Farmers are absolutely furious. They're dumping manure. They're protesting because they're very concerned that the price of fertilizer is going to go up. Why? Because fertilizer and farming has contributed to greenhouse gas emissions. Everything does. But there's an attempt to try to decrease fertilizer emissions. And so the farmers in Europe, especially in the Netherlands, are protesting. Now, in Canada, the Trudeau government is going to also impose a 30% reduction on fertilizer emissions. And farmers are concerned about it. Farming is a major part of our economy. And Jamie Payton is the vice chair of the Ontario Bean Growers and He's an edible bean producer in southwestern Ontario, and he's got some thoughts on this. Jamie, first of all, thanks for uh, um, being a food producer in this country. We don't thank farmers enough. We appreciate it. You work hard. It's a tough job, and we really appreciate it. T- tell me about this, the concern about the Trudeau government's uh, plan on on trying to have a 30% reduction of fertilizer emissions. Evan, thanks for having me. Evan, I, I guess it's an issue uh, for us. So we have the four R's here. But our bigger issue right now, Evan, if I might digress here, it's a huge issue. is a 35% tariff that was put on all Russian imported fertilizer retroactively without any prior discussion with any of us farmers, but that was imposed on us this spring. And that's being passed on down the food chain right to the consumer that's struggling to put groceries on their table to feed their families right now. I, I hear you on the fertilizer it's, it's a big issue we have the four r's that's using the right product at the right time at the right place that but right now right what's immediately hit us there's terrification put us uh, eastern farmers let's say basically from manitoba because we import a lot of our nitrogen from europe and this has been going on for years imposed retroactively it was supposed to be a tax to hurt mr putin and that terrible tragedy that's happened in Ukraine. It's done nothing to punish him, but it's punishing the farmers. And what it trickles down to, I feel embarrassed. This is getting passed right onto the grocery shelves here at a horrendous cost to the consumer who's struggling to buy groceries. This is what my major concern is today, Evan. It's a huge issue. So let me me just give you and tell our listeners, in March... It was March 3rd. The federal government um, did implement a 35% tariff on all Russian imports, everything. And that did include fertilizer. Exactly. And because of that, farm groups and the fertilizer industry have said there should be some kind of cutout. And the problem is that the government's trying to, governments around the world are trying to punish Russia. And Russia, as you know, They're using the food supply, whether it's fertilizers or grain shipments that they're shutting down from Ukraine to try to hit back. Um, What do you think should be done on that? 
there should be automatically a re- 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 rebate, or not a rebate, a total revocation. Totally, these should be refunded back to the main, the big fertilizer brokers, which would trickle back right to us farmers. I personally, I paid thousands of dollars of tariffs on this fertilizer. And these fertilizer deals, Evan, they were done last September, right through to late January, or very early February, right before the war broke out. We were blindsided like this, and unfortunately, farmers have ways of passing this on down through the food chain, and what tears my heart apart, the consumer is literally getting slaughtered here at the grocery store. Part of the reason is it's done nothing to impact that evil person as Mr. Putin, not at all punitive to him. Well, well they say it is. I, I'm not going to get, I don't, I can't measure it, but I, I want to talk about the impact on farmers, and I want people to appreciate that. As I understand it, 85 to 90% of the nitrogen fertilizer used in Quebec, Ontario, and Atlantic Canada, about 680,000 tons, comes from Russia. Exactly. So what are you doing in, to, to get the fertilizer? What are we doing? We're going to domestically, there's going to be more maybe produced within North America. We can try and source to other sources like Trinidad and Tobago, places like that. We're going to be paying a lot more for this product at the end of the day. Again, though, that will trickle down and be passed on to the consumer. Of the G7 countries, Canada is the only one that has had tariffs put on Russian fertilizer. So what so, so you're not worried about the the, the, the the other element is the grain output and cutting emissions. That what do you make of the reduction in fertilizer emissions? And and some will argue that will decrease crop output and, and, and do different things. Is that a, is that an issue for you? It is an issue, Evan, and we can only cut back. Right now, when fertilizer has doubled or almost tripled, especially in nitrogen-based products in the last three years, we use it very extremely prudently. Every ounce that we use, but there comes a line you can only cut so back so much. In Canada, we're not being punitively forced to say you've got to cut back by 40% or whatever. If it comes to that, that we'll, we can still, we still manage it, the Ministry of the environment monitors things, but the cost of it, it makes darn well sure that we use fertilizer extremely prudently right now. Extremely. Mm. We're walking the thin line. Some of us might now be giving up yields right now a little bit because we're extremely precarious users of fertilizer. So now what do you make in the Netherlands? You've got Dutch farmers there that are literally so concerned about the reduction of nitrogen emissions, they're dumping garbage, they're dumping manure on highways, they're setting it fire because they say their government's policy to reduce emissions is going to hurt them. Down the road, it might here, right at this point in time, I think personally there's dialogue here. It hasn't come that far yet. If indeed with the carbon tax and that we go further by 2030, there has been talk right for the immediate for 2022 through 2025. I think we're okay yet. Don't hang me on that. Coming to 2030, if the mantra is that we got to keep chiseling back, we might come that it might impact yields. Yields impact food prices at the end of the day if we've got to produce that. But here in Canada, touch wood, we're not there yet. I'm not saying it's not coming, but that biggest concern okay. right now 
is the terrification of it. Yeah, the Russian thing, uh, Jamie Payton, Vice Chair of the Ontario Bingos. Just real quick in the minute I've got, if you were whispering in uh, Trudeau's ear, what would you say about that? He said, look, I cannot give Russia a loophole. NATO is backing. We've got to shut down that economy. These sanctions are working. Uh, what do you? What would your answer be to Trudeau? Because he blown it, he was ill advised. This, these tariffs have no, no at all action against. It's just against us. They did nothing to attack Belarus and Russia whatsoever. What he would do, and he would be politically far miles ahead if he just would reverse the tariff, give it back, give everybody a break. It added no punitive effect whatsoever against Putin. He's got to roll it back. God bless Miss Freeland, Christina, Ukrainian native. They blew it here. They're ill-advised. It's a bad, a terrible mistake, Evan. Okay, uh, well, okay. she's not a Ukrainian native. She's born in Canada. But um, uh, Jamie Payton, oh. vice chair, but she does, you're right. She speaks Ukrainian and Russian and has uh, Ukrainian roots. Her ancestral. Yeah, story, yeah. No, you know, yeah. you're 100% right. Uh, Jamie Payton, vice chair of the Ontario Beangors. First of all, Jamie, thanks for coming on. These are, I, I'm really glad that people across the country are listening to farmers. Uh, appreciate it. Um, you know, this is an interesting point. Jamie's making a powerful point. Um, there is going to be, look, when you're not buying... Uh, fertilizer from Russians, it's punishing them. But but is the punishment for us worse? Jamie's saying yes. But then if that happens, if no one pays the price, how do you punish Putin for this illegal invasion? But should our farmers be bearing the brunt? Okay, we're going to go the other way. The world's best magicians are all in Quebec City for the world champions of magic. This is like the Super Bowl of magic. We're going to meet one next. Where you meet the people behind the story. It's the Evan Solomon Show on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Coolest thing going on in Canada that you have never heard of? Well, it is the World Championships of Magic. For the first time ever outside of Europe being held in Quebec City. Magicians from 50 countries, 110 magicians, are in Canada vying to become the world's top magician. Every three years, this competition happens. It's been happening since 1948. Canada has two competitors, and one of the competitors literally just walked off stage, the great Sean Cobalt, Toronto-based magician. He's competing at the World Championships of Magic, uh, Shane Cobalt, rather. And Shane joins us right now. Uh, he's just come back off stage, Shane Cobalt. Uh, Hello, sir. How are you? Okay, so no one knows about this thing. <laughs> what, I, first of all, I, I just want to tell you, I love magic. So, so I just want to give you the entire show. Um, oh, amazing! This is an amazing thing. I, I can't. I mean it. I love a good magic show. Tell me about what this is, and then we'll get to your your particular thing. What is the World Championships yeah. of Magic? So, the World Championship of Magic is something called FISM. It's by the organization called the Federal International Society of Magic, but in French, of course. And it happens, like you said, every three years at a various city around the world. And it's just like the Olympics. Each city puts a bid in. They talk about, like, why it should be done in these different places. And they get added or taken away depending on what's going on. So, like, right now, uh, the next one, I think, is supposed to be 2025. And I believe it's supposed to be in Torino, Italy. But this is the first time it's ever been done in North America. Never been to the oh, United crazy. States. It's never been to Canada. It's and been in you know, China, Korea, different places. But it's never been here. So and how did you qualify? Like, there's only, um, as I understand it, 
you know, 110 magicians. How did you qualify? Uh, I think there's about 150 magicians. Okay. Uh, I think I could be wrong about that. I think it's 150. There's 50 up to up to that's the absolute maximum. I think there's less than that. So I qualified in September of 2021, where there was like the North American Championship of Magic, and I put myself forth for um, for close up card magic. I did an act, and they seemed to enjoy it. So here we are. There, there's a very particular rubric of what you can and cannot. Um, do score-wise. So I had to put together an act and then perform it in front of a judge, a jury, and they judge the act. And based on the merit of the, the points scored, um, the point scored, you need to have a certain threshold. You have to be over a certain number, and then you can actually compete and represent your country. And then they have to also sponsor you on top of it. So there's a couple... There's a few moving parts. So, so I'm speaking to Shane Cobalt, Toronto-based magician, competing in the uh, World Championships of Magic. This is crazy. So, like, you are close, car, like, card magic, which I love, by the way. But, um, but what about if someone says, oh, look, I'm David Copperfield. I'm going to make this uh, truck disappear. Like, are you competing against that stuff? Or is it there is close card Great magic question. as one category, and then there's elephants disappearing as another one? Yeah. So, you know, think of it, I guess, in some ways, I say it's like figure skating, you know, you have people that, let's say, work in pairs. In this situation, it's not very often, but we do break it up into stage magic and close up magic. And then each one of those two categories has small subgenres. So for me, for example, I'm very specifically close up card magic. So I can only use playing cards in my act. Uh, other people might be using coins and small objects and things. And they would typically be what's called micro magic. So it's like a bunch of different stuff, but it falls under micro magic. So sort of small stuff, stuff in the hands. And then we have parlor magic, which is sort of things you may expect to see in your living room, someone standing up before you, but it's still relatively close up. Then on the stage side of things, they break off into like what you were mentioning, like cars disappearing and stuff like that, which would be considered like grand illusion. So there's a stage competition, there's the illusion category, there's like a comedy element. So there's all these different subgenres that that kind of like break out after that. And then we kind of go from there. And then it's it's whittled down to be, and then you're eventually, it's like, you know, your best in show. Um, Now, you do the kind of magic that I remember growing up. Uh, The greatest guy I remember was a guy called Ricky Jay. Remember Ricky Jay? Obviously, oh, the, what a name to bring up. Yeah, Ricky was extraordinary, wasn't he? Yeah, he was great. And and I remember a friend of mine, I, I got to know David Ben, who's a great Toronto uh, magician. He is here, funny enough. Yes, well, David Ben's a great guy. And and so just tell me, how how did you get into magic? And do you have to come up with, Shane, your own trick? Like, when you you can't just do a classic. You have to come up with a new card trick that people are like, Shane's bringing the heat. It, it's a good question. There's... It works both ways. So a big part of it is, um, and actually funny enough, in the act that I was doing just now, I'm a big fan of classic magic. Uh, to me, it's the most pure. It's the same as someone picking up like a piece by Mozart or Tchaikovsky and playing it. You know, it never gets old. It's always beautiful and brilliant. And we know exactly how people kind of enjoy or don't enjoy it. But the difference is, how do you make it your own? So I try to take a very old classics of magic or even secrets of magic, lost secrets. We have stories about tricks where like, we don't actually know how they were done. That's my world. I love finding old lost oh, secrets of magic okay. and then bringing them back to life again. So this particular act started off with a very, very big legend of magic, Scarney's Aces, which is a, a gentleman from the 1920s in New York at about 19 years old, apparently took a brand new deck of cards, had it shuffled, and then was able to cut to the four aces. And that story was just, became legend. It's like, how is this possible? How is this possible? So I went a step further with it. I will try to add one more brushstroke to some of these masterpieces if I can. And uh, in my instance, I said, well, you know what? Instead of the four aces, someone in the audience, name any four of a kind. And they name any card that they want. Any, any four And cards, you can cut three, to that? Four, and your trick is yeah. that if I said, I, I want uh, the eights, 
the, the spades, the diamond, uh, the clubs, and the heart, and you will cut all four. Exactly. Not only oh, that, but I, I take them out. You see them go shuffling back in. It's a brand-new deck of cards. And then after the cards get shuffled, I actually ask you, how would you like me to do it? Do you want them to be on the top of the deck, the bottom of the deck, or the face of the packet that I cut? What do you want them? And they tell me what they want. I do a couple of shuffles, and I do exactly that. How long did that take you to learn? <laughs> My entire life. Is that, no, that, that's a trick of a lifetime, right? Like, this is not like, yeah. oh, I, I worked on it on a Saturday. Those are lifetime tricks. And when, when other, like, it's one thing for, to, to perform for a guy like me who's just going to go, wow. I mean, that's what it's there for. When you do it in front of other magicians, are you more nervous? Because you know they are looking in a way that you would look, professionals looking at this. Oh, most definitely. I mean, when you're performing for magicians and stuff, it's, just, it's a bit of a different ball game. The big thing I would say is that, like, like my hands shake, for example. So there's a couple moments in the act where, like, my nerves are just... My hands always shake anyway a little bit, but certainly my hands were a little more shaky than normal. So it's, um, yeah, it's nerve-wracking. I mean, I'm in front of my heroes. You know, I've got people in the audience that I have so much respect for that are coming out of, like, from all walks of life, from all parts of the earth. Like, they're all traveling here, and now I have their undivided attention for 10 minutes. So are you done? So so you've just done your, you just got off stage. So how many more performances do you have? That's it. It depends. If I do well, then there would be a gala on Saturday, and they let us know, I believe, tomorrow evening. So uh, at this point, I am I am I get to kind of relax. I mean, as much as one can while waiting for results of a of a competition like that. Oh my God, I I, I want to be there so bad. First of all, good <laughs> luck. I'm sure you thank did you, great. You. you must have been you must be on a weird high right. I can't even believe you're on the radio with me. I'm speaking to Shane Cobalt. He just finished like the trick of his. Are you looking at other magicians now and some of the tricks? And are you like, holy Mackinac, There's some good stuff out there. You know what? No. The answer, for, if I'm being completely honest, the answer is no. I don't want to see anybody else's act. And it's not because they're brilliant. It's because they probably are brilliant. I don't need that kind of stress in my life right now. Oh. So I'm like, I've That's done great. my bit, you know. And I mean, and I, of course, I would love to sit there and watch them. But like, I mean, I'm competing right now. So my mindset was this. Watching them is not going to make my magic better. All they can do is make me more nervous. Oh, if my I God. see one act, I go, man, that's the act. Okay. Uh, well, I, I, I can't do anything with it. So instead, I was like, you know what? I'll take a step back. I'm just going to do my thing in isolation. And then after this is all said and done, then I can take a breath. I can okay. relax. So, folks, please follow Shane Cobalt, Toronto-based magician. By the way, one of our texters said, are you from Aurora? Because someone went to high school with him. Are you from Aurora? That is, that is exactly right. Okay, so so bit, one of our texters went to high school with you. That's Shane oh, that's Cobalt. So funny. Uh, Shane Cobalt, good luck. We really hope you keep moving on in the World Champions of Magic, Championship of Magic in Quebec City. That's Shane Cobalt. He is magic.